0: Hi, I'm Curtis Hill, and you are listening to The Extra Point. Thank you so much for downloading this episode of The Extra Point. It is the week of January 26th as I record this. I'm so grateful that you're taking time to listen to it. Each Sunday that I preach Often there are so many things that just don't make it into the message. There is so much in study and prep that you're trying to like really have a full well of material that you kind of draw water from. And so there's always a lot of things that you end up thinking through. Okay, will this serve a particular point that I'm making? Is this uh, information that would be helpful to the person listening Lots of times it's hard to know exactly what will be the most helpful, but there are time constraints and then there are also just attention constraints. So that means inevitably some things just don't end up making it to the message on Sunday. But some of those things are really, really important. And so I'm so glad for an outlet like The Extra Point to talk about some of those things that either I wish I would have mentioned, or frankly, I just made a decision to focus on on other things. So with that in mind, I want to receive questions. And if you have some questions, always feel free to either email those to me at chill at ogletown.org or uh, write them down, give them to me after a service. I would greatly appreciate any kind of questions. I think there's even a form on online at the extra point that you could actually fill that form out. Those questions will get to me. So I appreciate that. I did want to share a little bit more. I was preaching from Acts chapter 1 this past Sunday, and particularly the replacement of Judas and how all that transpired, uh, I was really focusing our attention on specific things that the disciples did after Jesus ascended to heaven. I highlighted two the previous week, two this past week, so l- let me just run through those quickly. First, disciples do what Jesus tells them to do. Second, disciples gather together as the community of Jesus. Third, disciples pay close attention to to what Jesus said to them. And fourth, disciples carry on a conversation with Jesus. Those things are meant to be uh, simplified. There's so much more you could say, but those are meant to be simplified so that you might understand a little bit more uh, and really in language that we could take with us and stick to us throughout the week. So that was the kind of the structure of the message. But there are some extra points that I wanted to make, didn't have time to make. So one thing that really stood out to me is, no pun intended here, but in chapter 1, verse 15 of Acts, Peter stood up. That stands out to me because Peter was the one who had denied Jesus after being so self-confident that he would never do such a thing. And Peter was the one that Jesus himself had really moved toward to restore in John chapter 21. And here we find Peter taking a leadership role, Among the apostles, I don't think that's insignificant. I think that's important. What Jesus had said is, Simon, you will be restored and you will turn again and you will encourage, you will strengthen your brothers. And this is exactly what Peter's doing. So what a testament to what Jesus saw in Peter. What a testament to God's second chances, third chances, fourth chances, 400th chances that he gives us. So I just wanted to highlight that. Uh, There is also something I talked about a little bit on Sunday, and that was kind of this language in Acts chapter one of a share of ministry or an allotment of ministry that Jesus gave to each of the 12 apostles. I mentioned only in passing that Luke 22 records something related to this. And I just wanted to go back and kind of look at that again, because in Luke chapter 22, they've just taken the first Lord's Supper. And it says in Luke chapter 22, verse 24, a dispute arose among them about who would be considered the greatest. And of course, Jesus says, this is not what you should be doing. That's what Gentiles do. Actually, this isn't the way it should be among you. On the contrary, whoever is greatest among you should become like the youngest and whoever leads like the one serving. For who is greater, the one at the table or the one serving? Isn't it the one at the table? But I am among you as the one who serves. And then he says this, you are those who stood by me in my trials. He's talking to the 12 disciples, their 12 apostles. And then he says in verse 29 of Luke 22, I bestow on you a kingdom just as my father bestowed one on me so that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom. And you will sit on thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel. They're having an argument of who's the greatest. And Jesus I've definitely heard many times and thought about many times how he says it's not about who's going to be the greatest, but who's going to be the greatest servant. But here's the connection here. Jesus says there are going to be allotments. There's going to be shares. There's going to be a kingdom for each of the 12 apostles. So in essence, these disciples, I really see them as a bridge. They sit on thrones of the 12 tribes of Israel, but they're also the new foundation for God's people. Constantly in the book of Acts, they go to the apostles' teaching. That's what lays down the foundational elements of the word of God for us as New Testament church. So you see them kind of in this bridge role, having received a kingdom, sitting over in judgment over the 12 tribes of Israel, but now also laying the foundation for God's new covenant people. Uh, And from the story in Acts, it's just very interesting to me. These are the prime movers and shakers in the book of Acts, the, the apostles of Jesus. No longer will it be the priest and the temple. The priest in the temple in Luke 1, Zechariah, is a priest. And he is held in, in high regard in that way. By the time you get to the book of Acts, the priests it, are totally discredited. And really, it, it shifts to God's leaders. The people that will be shepherds of God's flock are now these apostles. And then it will be elders and pastors. So just something to note. I also appreciated... Uh, just being able to look a little bit more deeply into some of the scripture that Peter says, the scripture that's been fulfilled in light of Judas's betrayal. And the way he says it is important. He says the Holy Spirit spoke through the mouth of David. And so the Holy Spirit is speaking and David is speaking. So it is both. And uh, there's divine authorship of scripture, human authorship of scripture. But frankly, to read Psalm 69 and to read Psalm 109, if you were to read those on face value, they, they don't immediately, if you didn't know that Judas would betray, they don't immediately uh, leap out at you that, oh, this is clearly talking about Judas. But you do find these references about Judas being disqualified. But when you reread Psalm 69 in light of the Messiah, in light of all that he endured, in light of all the pain, you read the end, end of the Psalm, Psalm 69. So let, let me read a few verses here. It says, But as for me, poor and in pain, let your salvation protect me, God. So you can imagine this on the lips of David, but also on the lips of the Messiah. I will praise God's name with song and exalt him with thanksgiving. The humble will see it and rejoice. You who seek God, you can take heart. For the Lord listens to the needy. He doesn't despise those uh, his own who are prisoners. Let heaven and earth praise him, the seas and everything that moves in them. For God will save Zion. He will build up the cities of Judah. They will live there and possess it. And one of the points I was making on Sunday is that the fulfillment of scripture indicates that God has this big plan, this master plan, and he is in charge and he is in control and he is fulfilling his promises. So these things that seem random, the Messiah gets uh, crucified, the Messiah gets betrayed. Peter was able to look back at a, a psalm and say, wait a minute, God had promised to save. This didn't catch God by surprise. We should, we should read scripture in light of what has happened in Jesus Christ. Even in Psalm chapter 109, which Peter also refers to in Acts chapter 1, the way that psalm ends. Again, it's the words of David, but also the words of Messiah. Help me, Lord my God. Save me according to your faithful love, so that they may know that this is your hand. And that you, Lord, have done it. Though they curse, you will bless. When they rise up, they'll be put to shame. But your servant will rejoice. My accusers will be clothed with disgrace, they'll wear their shame like a cloak. But I will fervently thank the Lord with my mouth. I will praise him in the presence of many, for he stands at the right hand of the needy to save him from those who would condemn him. So Peter takes this reference, and he's not merely copy copying and pasting something into Acts chapter one really when you read the full range of Psalm 109, it's a psalm about the Messiah who, even if he is betrayed, even if many turn against him, ultimately will be victorious. So it's no wonder, no wonder Peter would take that psalm. And he certainly takes one line from it, but the greater psalm gives a huge context to what God was doing. So I I just love those psalms. Uh, Really throughout the book of Acts, it's important to kind of find those cross-references, look back and see the greater context of what the story that God was writing all throughout the Bible, especially in the Old Testament, how it's all fulfilled in Jesus Christ. And Acts draws our attention to that. One other thing I noticed is the focus on these apostles being eyewitnesses. So this is more than just that Christianity will be some sort of philosophically superior way of living. Uh, It's more than that. It's more than Christianity will offer some moral transformation to flawed people. It's more than that. It's more than just uh, Christianity is kind of a path to heightened spirituality. If you want to be like really deep and very, very spiritual, Christianity is the path. It's more than that. Actually, Christianity is based on an eyewitness, a historical event, that there was a a man who is God the Son, that was crucified, and is risen, and now is reigning, and there were eyewitnesses that saw it. And I think Acts just keeps highlighting, and underlining, and bringing us back to that point of eyewitnesses saw it. This is more than just philosophy. This is more than just uh, morality. This is more than just spirituality. This is historical. Historically, this happened. And that makes me think, like, if if you take the Bible, where where do you put it in uh, Barnes & Noble? If you've been in Barnes & Noble, there's, like, sections dividing up. There's um, all different categories of books. Like, where do you put the Bible? You put it in the religious category? Well, that certainly would make sense. I mean, it is about a religion. Would you put it in uh, philosophy category? Well, that certainly would make sense because it has a lot to do with how to think through wisely how, how one should live their lives. Should you put it in um, morality or some sort of change or, or behavior? Well, the Bible speaks a lot of morality and a lot about our behavior and even a lot about our behavior changing. Or, or would it best be put in spirituality, just kind of the, the realm of mysterious things that human rationale doesn't always quite explain? Well, I think, it again, It's this is a tough question. I, I think one thing you would have to recognize if you take the Bible on its own terms is that you better make sure the Bible fits into the category of history as well, because that is what it claims to be. Eyewitness accounts of these very events that have now shaped millennia. So just something as I was thinking about, uh, the Bible hard to categorize, but we must not leave out that the Bible is history. So. When you walk through the book of Acts, there's so much that we could dive into. Uh, this coming week, Lord willing, we'll be looking at Acts 2. We'll probably spend a few weeks looking at Acts 2. It's the day of Pentecost. Again, so much there. Uh, again, Lord willing, this coming Sunday, we'll be having uh, observing the Lord's Supper. So this would be great to prepare our hearts for this and and really think, what does it mean that the promise of the Father has come to us? the Holy Spirit has come. What does that mean? Lots of questions in Acts 2, and I look forward to diving in those uh, with you. So thank you for taking a few moments to listen to a little bit more, a few extra points. Uh, Bye for now, and I look forward to seeing you on Sunday.